Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. So, what do you know about GDPR? If you're in the UK or the EU, you've almost certainly seen a buzz of publicity about it in the last year. And if you're like me, you'll have received dozens of emails asking you to opt in to future communications. That might have seemed a good time to do some junk mail housekeeping, and that by not opting in, you'd get rid of some of them. Yet, there still seems to be a lot coming in, and probably most of it's legal. Confused? I don't blame you if you are, as the rules are not as clear as they first seem to be. It's not just email. Any business that holds personal data on a computer has to comply with GDPR. In truth, that means every business. And it's about to become more complicated. For example, companies outside the EU, and that will include UK companies after Brexit, have to appoint a GDPR administrator who's within the EU. To help unravel the rules, I'm talking in this podcast with Henry Herbert. Henry was formerly a solicitor in a major London law firm, but left to form Herbert & Ball, a specialist firm that provides legal advice to SMEs across many different areas. But in particular, he's a specialist in data protection, GDPR, and spends his time advising businesses on marketing and website compliance. If you're into international business expansion or simply want to understand GDPR better, I think you'll find this podcast a must-listen. Today I'm talking with Henry Herbert about GDPR. And Henry, welcome to the Grow Through International podcast. Thanks for having me, Oliver. Uh, that's great. It's a pleasure. And we're looking forward um, to learning some more about GDPR, particularly um, since it's become such an important thing. And I, But even though it's been around for, I think, best part of a year, uh, I'm not still sure that everybody knows what even the four letters stand for, never mind how it affects them. So we'll get into that. But uh, uh, would you like to introduce yourself first, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Henry Herbert. I'm a partner at Herbert & Ball LLP. We're a specialist data protection consultancy, um, amongst other things. Um, I was formerly a solicitor at a major London law firm where I gained experience in data protection as part of corporate transactions and decided it was something I wanted to do full time. Um, hence why I set up a partnership. But basically, we've been advising organizations in the run-up to and after GDPR on a whole range of issues uh, from very basic things such as privacy policies and basic documentation to subject access requests, complaints, and everything else. Okay, so to get started, just in case some of our listeners don't know what GDPR is and many of them, I suspect, really don't and don't want to admit it, can you give us a sort of elevator conversation, tell us what it's all about? Absolutely. So it's the General Data Protection Regulation. It's an EU regulation. Um, it came out in 2016 and then came to force in 2018 in May, as everyone will be aware now. And essentially, it's about handling personal data, making sure that it's dealt with appropriately and handled securely, given the, the risks there are now with data falling into the wrong hands, 
um, or being lost, etc. So it really is about uh, protecting personal data. And does it affect every business? It depends. It'll affect you if you're in the EU or if you do business with the EU, you're likely to be affected. Um, there's a number of tests for how you're affected, but I can't imagine there's any business in the EU that doesn't process personal data in some way, so they'll all be affected. Absolutely. Um, so that could be as simple as sort of just keeping personnel records or keeping a mailing list? Absolutely. I mean, it's all the basic things such as um, mailing lists, employee data, anything that can be used to identify someone individually is effectively personal data. The tests are a bit broader than that, but really the point is if you can say um, who the individual is um, from the data, um, then it's personal data. Okay, so it's been in place um, for a year. Uh, how many businesses would you say are still not fully compliant? Well, I think that's a, that's a very good question. Um, it's very hard to say, but from our experience, most businesses still haven't really grappled with it. I think it's hard to say uh, that anyone is 100% compliant because it's an ongoing process. Um, there are obviously some that have taken it very seriously and others that haven't taken it so seriously. Um, a lot of the businesses we've come across have updated the, the privacy policy on their website, for instance, and left it at that, um, either because they didn't have the time or resources to do any more. But we've also found that businesses that thought they were compliant actually aren't compliant. Uh, but there's still just as much confusion like a year on um, as there was in the run-up to the 25th of May uh, about things like consent, when that's required, the legal basis for processing personal data. And I think most organisations haven't really got their heads around it still, unfortunately. I think the larger ones have, but the SME market in the UK in particular, I think, has it's, it's really struggled. Right. And I know it was very confusing for me when it first came out and I was trying to read all about it. And I certainly noticed from all the myriad um, junk emails that I get um, sort of inviting me to, you know, have compliance or, or sorry, have approve or not approve their contacting me. They all seem to be doing it in different ways. So there doesn't seem to be a consistency across it. So That's I'll... right. Well, that, that was one of the trends, I think, that infuriated people was uh, the emails that came out telling people that the privacy policy had been updated for a particular business, um, which, you know, you are, you are meant to do. But really, I think the consumer isn't interested in reading that, unfortunately. Mm. And they actually got more spam emails than they would have got um, GDPR not been passed, so that was a sort of unintended consequence, which was quite amusing. Some of the businesses I was working with were saying, oh, it's okay, we're just leaving everything in the hands of our IT department, they know what to do. Um, but it seems to me that this is something that's sort of more a legal thing than an IT thing. Um, is it really a good idea to rely upon your IT department? It's, well, it's a combination of the two, definitely. I think that's why so many businesses struggle. Some have tried to say this is an IT issue rather than a legal issue, but really they're intertwined. And the, the nature of personal data means that you have to think about it from a range of perspectives. That's also probably a reason why people have struggled, because they haven't had the resource. They might have had an IT guy who's tried to deal with it, but there's some complex legal questions which you might not be familiar with. Um, I mean, in terms of IT providers, things like CRM systems, um, they are. They would be what's called a data processor generally. Um, so to some extent, you, you can uh, pass on responsibility for security, but ultimately you you remain liable if something goes wrong, and you have to um, sue down the chain by a data processing agreement um, for any breach of by that IT company. So really, there's no way you're off the hook. You can just potentially get money back um, if they mess up, as it were. 
So it's not an ideal position to be in as a business because you can't really escape liability and you know you really have to audit your data processes to make sure that they're handling data um, correctly. And I think the penalties are very high for non-compliance, aren't they? In, in theory, yes. I mean, yeah, up to 20 million euros is the higher um, tier uh, or 4% of turnover. But in reality, uh, those, as most people expected, would not be um, unlikely to be imposed, not least because most businesses don't have 20 million euros to dispose of all their cash in the bank. No. But, Mine doesn't, um, does you, does yours. <laughs> you know, they're sort of lying around. But I think the... You don't need a particularly high fine to cause a lot of trouble for an SME. I think that's the point. Um, you know, £20,000 fine is likely to cause as much damage to uh, an SME as, as a, a million pounds or greater fine. Absolutely. Um, and what's interesting, I think, is the ICO, from what we've seen, has continued to fine as it said it would um, and focus on the same sort of thing. So marketing breaches, you're not having consent uh, to send individuals to, sorry, emails to individuals. Um, so they haven't really changed their approach there. Um, that seems to be an area that people have routinely been confused about when, when you can use email and when you can't. Um, but that hasn't really changed. And I think you know, you've seen fines for Facebook and others, but those aren't really the fines that are going to be worrying um, you know, an SME. They're, they're going to be looking for fines on, on small businesses. I was going to ask whether anyone's been fined yet. Um, or any, there's been enforcement action taken. Um, apart there from has, but it's, it's continued along the same lines. We haven't really seen much of a change in terms of you know things that are technically breaches of GDPR that are liable to be fined, such as privacy policies not being on a website. Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing is the thing people were concerned about. And as far as I've seen, having looked through the fines on the IC website the other day, I couldn't see anything like that. Um, so... Really, I think it remains things like data breaches, sort of willfully, um, well, negligent data breaches, I think, are a high-risk area, and marketing mistakes are two of the highest-risk areas, in our view. Right. Um, Now, I mean, we're in the UK. We have listeners on this podcast series all around the world, but uh, in the UK, everyone, as of the day today that we're talking, is preoccupied by Brexit, which is with the outcome still being probably as unclear as it was two years ago, um, if not more so. Um, but uh, this, of course, is an EU regulation. Do we assume that it's going to be um, basically carried forward after Brexit, assuming Brexit happens? Yes, absolutely, because the, the Parliament's already uh, passed the, the Data Protection Act 2018, which effectively implements it into UK law. So it's going to be part of UK law for the future foreseeable future anyway. Um, the relationship with the EU is obviously undetermined and so is the, the nature of data protection as a result. I think there's a few areas which UK businesses in particular should consider. Um, one of them is appointing a representative in the EU if you don't have a presence in the EU yourself but you have customers in the EU. That's going to be a new requirement for businesses to consider. The other one is transferring data to and from the EU um, as we probably, and in our view, won't be a member state after the 29th of March, whatever state we're in. Um, it's going to be necessary unless we have what's called an adequacy decision where we're determined to be basically a safe country by the EU to transfer data to. Um, it may be necessary to put what's called standard contractual clauses in place um, between UK businesses and the EU businesses to allow data to flow out of the EU to the UK. Um, and essentially, you know, those are concerns which would affect any 
business in any country around the world outside the EU or EEA doing business with the EU or EEA, where if you're, if you're processing data on EU citizens, people in the EU, then you need to think about GDPR um, because you are probably going to be in scope. Right. Now, you mentioned very briefly back there um, a representative for GDPR mm-hmm. in Europe. Tell us a little bit about, a little bit more about that. The idea is that if you're a company outside the EU and you're processing data on EU citizens, they need to have someone that they can correspond with and deal with and that the regulators can deal with um, to make it easy to facilitate communication and complaints and subject access requests and things like that. So one of the articles under the GDPR states that you have to appoint a representative, i.e. an entity or potentially a person um, in the member state in which some of the data subjects are the people you process the data of are located. So say you're in the UK and you process data on Irish people as part of your business, uh, you need to appoint a representative representative in Ireland if you didn't have any presence in Ireland, such as a branch or a subsidiary already, which you could use as as the subsidiary. So do you Um, need to do that for every European country if you're working across multiple countries? So you only need one. Um, it just has to be in one of the countries in which some of the data subjects are. So you could have data subjects in every country in Europe as being processed by you or having their data processed by you, but you only need to pick one gotcha. uh, country yeah, that, that they're in. So say, you know, say Ireland. Ireland, we think, is going to be most popular for obviously UK companies because of the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we've, we've set up as a service uh, to offer going forward. Um, but it's really, it's really sort of post-box. We don't expect most SMEs to receive a huge amount of correspondence. It's something that goes in the privacy policy that you mentioned there, mm-hmm. and you know you tick the box. Um, the reality is, if there's a subject access request, it will be dealt with by whoever's responsible for that in your organisation. But you know you've, you've ticked the box for appointing someone. And so, would you have to put the details of this representative, say, on your website, or just? written into your privacy policy and make that available on the website? Yes, it would be the website privacy policy. Okay. I mean, it has to be in any privacy policy you provide. So you're likely to have a number of different ones, such as a privacy policy for employees. Um, but the most common one by far is going to be the website privacy policy. That's what people see. So it certainly must be in there. Okay. So anybody who actually needs um, some professional advice on this and actually needs um, professionally to have um, a data representative can be helped by you, right? That's right, absolutely. If that's something they're concerned about, if they're going to be doing business with the EU post-Brexit, um, the appointed representative service is something we offer and we can advise on. Okay. And this presumably also applies to non-EU companies with subsidiaries or operations or handling data in the EU now. So, for example, our listeners in the USA. Um, absolutely. Yeah, just as much. It's just the UK is effectively becoming more like the USA in terms of data protection by, by virtue of the fact that it's leaving um, the EU. Obviously, the situation is unclear. Mm. But, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, the US companies should, should be just as concerned about the same issues. And if there was a US company or a Singaporean company or another country's company which has operations uh, or data on people in the UK post-Brexit, let's assume it happens, will they need a data representative in the UK as well? Uh, No, because we won't be a a member state after that point, so we won't be within the EU. Okay, so the protection regulations will be similar or uh, carried forward, but not quite the same. Um, not exactly, yeah, not quite the same. Any other things that international businesses need to be aware of? I think, 
really, it's, it's a question of how much business are you doing with the EU. As soon as you start um, trading with the EU, GDPR is something you need to consider. Uh, and the problem is it's, it's, it's a sort of you're either caught or you're not caught situation. Once you're caught, you have to do everything. So I think really, again, the key thing to be um, thinking about are data breaches. You know, that's the actual thing that's going to upset people. And I think probably the most important practical part of data protection is making sure the data doesn't get lost. So, you know, cybersecurity, having decent policies and procedures in place so that people don't leave data on memory sticks and things like that, those are all very important. Um, marketing, very important to make sure you get that right and you understand that because it's not a, an intuitive area. It's very much a, a, a regulated um, concept of what you what you can do and you can't do without consent. Um, and I think also just making sure that outwardly um, you look compliant, so making sure you've got a robust privacy policy on your website because that's what people are going to see in the first instance and mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to judge you based on your privacy policy as to how seriously you take GDPR and then, of course, you know how you handle any data subject access requests. Um, yeah, those, those have to be handled very carefully because they do have the potential to I guess that um, this is affecting or needs to affect every SME business, but um, it sounds like an awful lot of work, and I'm guessing it's a very expensive legal process. Is that right? It can be, absolutely. It's either going to cost time or money, really, and it is something that businesses can tackle a lot themselves if they've got someone who's got the time to sit down, go through the documents and read about it. But as you said earlier, it's confusing Mm -hmm. um, to the layman who's not familiar with this area. Um, So I think really that's probably why most businesses have done something and then left it. You know, they've they've probably done, the SME has done the privacy policy on their website and decided, you know, that that was enough for them or they couldn't bear to to do any more documents, (laughs) which isn't, isn't ideal but it is sort of understandable when you've got other pressures in the business. Um, or what they've done is they did the privacy policy to start with by the 25th of May, and then they slowly plan to work through the rest of the documents. That's what we often see, which is really the only the only solution. I think a lot of businesses weren't aware of this until early 2018, despite it having been passed in 2016. The nature of these things is only, you know, it's always a last-minute um, rush. Absolutely. But, you know, it, it, it's unfortunately, it is a compliance exercise in large part, you can leverage it to help your business and you know gain the trust and respect of your customers. Uh, people are increasingly concerned about how their data is handled with all the various data breaches that have happened over the years. So it's I think that's the only positive way you can spin it is to try and look at the benefits for the business of being seen to be compliant. Absolutely. And I'm guessing that it's only a matter of time before there's something that really sort of wakes up regulators and makes them do something and everybody will be running scared so it's probably a good time to um, if you haven't done something about it to be thinking seriously about getting it right now. That's right I think there hasn't been a there's technically been no grace period but the OIC was certainly very busy um, after 25th of May with a large number of complaints and I think now you know approaching a year on um, I think the OIC is probably going to be less lenient with businesses that's my personal opinion that haven't done anything Certainly, if you haven't done anything and you get in trouble, you're not going to be in a good position. If you've been at least working towards compliance, you're in a a better position to to not be fined, I think, in the first case, unless you did something that was pretty bad, such as losing the data. Um, So, yeah, now is the time to to really get it um, wraps, I think, if you haven't, and just dedicate the time and resource to getting as compliant as you can be. The honeymoon is over. Exactly. 
Henry, that's great. Thank you very much for talking to us. I think that's been fascinating and uh, I encourage listeners who uh, need to get their GDPR act together. Uh, maybe a great idea would be to actually contact Henry. You can find his contact details on the growinternational.org website uh, on the page accompanying this podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast. I really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations. We post new content every week, so please do click on the subscribe button and follow this, the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. You can also find the transcript, other articles, and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos, and podcasts, and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson, wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion may be easier than you may think. Mm-hmm.